This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee and this is The Full Story. At the same time as I've been seeing some of the most beautiful places on earth, I've been reading the data that tells me that these places are under threat. A new report has found that over the last five years, Australia's environment has declined to the point where land and wildlife are not just being destroyed, entire ecosystems are on the brink of collapse. If we continue on the trajectory that we are on, the precious places, landscapes, animals and plants that we think of when we think of home may not be here for our kids and grandkids. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has outlined how the new Labor government plans to try to wind back some of this damage. But will these measures be enough? And could this report's findings change the way Australia responds to the threat of climate change? Today, the state of Australia's environment. It's Thursday, the 21st of July. So, Adam, what is this report and why was it written? The State of the Environment report is basically a report card on the health of our natural heritage right across the continent and down to Antarctica. Adam Morton is Guardian Australia's environment editor. It's a five-yearly report that is required under federal legislation. The last one came out in 2017 and It basically is just looking in real depth at what is going on in Australian ecosystems, what impact climate change is having, and the plight of Australian species on land and in marine areas um, right across the continent. Mm -hmm. It's been written by some real heavy hitters who who are independent to government, but were commissioned by government to do it. The three lead authors of the report are Dr Ian Creswell, who's an environmental scientist at CSIRO. Terry Janke, who's a leading Indigenous lawyer, and Professor Emma Johnson, who's a Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Research at the University of Sydney. And they, working with about 30 scientists in total, spent two years basically pouring through all the peer-reviewed science covering what has happened in Australia's environment over the past five years, connecting it to what we already knew prior to that, and painting a picture in greater depth than any other document we have about what is happening out there based on all the expertise across the country that is working in the field. Right. So what are the main takeaways from this latest report about the health of Australia's environment? The headline message is that the environment is in poor and deteriorating state over those five years due to a number of factors that are interacting and compounding the effect of each other. Uh, Climate change is a major one. And this report has a separate look at the impact of climate change for the first time. The State of the Environment report hasn't had as close a look at that issue before. One of the most striking lines out of the report, it sort of grabs your attention and knocks you a bit sideways every time you see it, is that at least 19 Australian ecosystems are showing signs of collapse or near collapse Mm -hmm. due to the climate crisis and habitat loss and other factors, and there's been some abrupt changes in some Australian ecosystems over the past five years. They're in a much different state than they were in the previous report. We have a really significant problem with threatened species. More than 200 animal and plant species 
were either newly listed as threatened or had their status upgraded, so their situation has worsened over the past five years. We already know that Australia has lost more mammal species than any other continent and has one of the highest rates of species decline in the developed world. Um, We've cleared uh, nearly 300,000 hectares of native forest over the past five years and more than 300,000 hectares of secondary forest, which is so regrowing forest. But if we look over a longer time period, go back to the start of this century, an area greater than the size of Tasmania has been cleared. This is an area in which threatened species live, in which valuable ecosystems are thriving until it's knocked down, and that's happening at a really rapid pace, and certainly at a pace that it's not happening in most developed countries where this clearing happened centuries ago. Australia's kind of out on its own in that regard. Mm. We also, in terms of Australian cities, our eight biggest cities are growing at a faster rate than other developed cities across the planet generally. And that pace of growth has uh, increased a range of issues. Uh, Urban heat is getting worse. Congestion is getting worse. Pollution and waste are growing. And there's rising pressure on water and energy resources. And another key point in the report that we should mention is that there's a big focus on the role that First Nations Australians can play in protecting the environment and the extent to which that's not being utilised as much as it could be. We're continuing to destroy Indigenous protected areas at an unacceptable rate, not funding them well enough. And that's happening against the wishes of traditional owners. So there are a number of different problems with Australia's environment that are detailed in this report. Who does it say is to blame for all of this? It's important to say it's not a political document, this report. It doesn't, it's not critical of what governments are doing, but it does assess what might be a path ahead. And I guess there are little rays of light in that they say there are some solutions that could be followed. One of the issues it focuses on is that the environment has been drastically underfunded. In recent years, that's not a surprise. Uh, We know that the Environment Department and Environment Programs lost about 40% of their funding after Tony Abbott came to power uh, federally, and that's had a real impact. Well, I want to dig into some of those details you mentioned about the report a little bit more. Let's start with the term ecosystem collapse, which sounds quite frightening. What does that mean? So, um, I mean, ecosystems are... I like the National Geographic description that's stuck in my mind is it is a bubble of life in a certain area that contains all living parts down from the tiniest microbiomes up to apex predators and plant life and everything in between, hopefully thriving. And when we talk about an ecosystem collapsing, Mm. it means usually there's some significant event that has hit an ecosystem that has brought about a drastic change and possibly a permanent change in... um, its ability to continue to function and sustain all the life that lives within it. And, you know, when that happens rapidly, the ecosystem can go from being reasonably healthy or at least surviving to all but disappearing in a fairly short amount of time. And so we haven't seen those sort of collapses in Australia yet, or at least we hadn't at the time of this research a year or two ago. But there's a number of ecosystems which were basically considered to be on the brink of collapse or at risk of collapse. There's been a couple of examples that probably will have resonated in the public mind, I think, in the last few years. Um, We saw the mass fish deaths at Menindee Lakes in the Murray-Darling Basin. 
We've seen, you know, the extraordinary mass coral bleaching events on the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. Uh, we've had four of those in the past seven summers, but we only had two on record at all prior to that. When these events come that rapidly and dramatically, you can see a whole thriving area of life change close in, in geological terms to overnight. Mm. And we're certainly seeing the risk of that in a way we just haven't usually in our history. I mean, as you say, this report shows more than a dozen ecosystems are now showing signs of collapse. So what are the flow-on consequences for the environment when just one ecosystem collapses? It obviously affects all the species that live within that. Um, and you can go from having a bunch of reasonably healthy species to species that are then under threat. But we do know that ecosystems are vitally important to human well-being and survival. They provide water and food and air and natural resources that we need. They support livelihoods across the continent. And it's really important to note that when ecosystems start to fail, they're really hard to recover. It's more expensive to recover them than protect them. But this is the situation we're in in a number of places right now. And Adam, you mentioned Australia's threatened species are declining faster than a lot of countries in the developed world. Tell me more about that. Well, since 2016, we've seen an 8% increase in the number of listed threatened species across the country. That's a really significant jump in a short amount of time. Mm. And we know that these figures are just scratching the surface. The State of the Environment report has a significant focus on the black summer bushfires from two and a half years ago, when we know that between uh, one and three billion animals are estimated to have been killed or displaced. And we just don't have a handle on, our scientific community just doesn't yet have a handle on exactly what that means for a huge number of species. And we know that while there have been some federal government actions to try to help threaten species, there's been a, a five-year strategy that helped 21 priority species and did make some difference to their plight. There are many more species that have not been helped and then there are the vast number of species potentially that need help, need listing that we haven't even documented yet. Mm. So um, it's all the tip of the iceberg, really. And as you mentioned, Adam, you know, those black summer bushfires were responsible for, you know, wiping out animals in their own right, but also habitat loss for many animals. But we're also clearing land at record rates, according to this report, right? Yeah, those numbers are also really quite striking. Uh, as I said, an area bigger than Tasmania has been cleared this century. That's huge. It's more than 7 million hectares. And almost half of the country is used for grazing. Mm. Areas committed to forestry and cropping have increased. We're changing the way we use the land so dramatically since European invasion. Australia now has the third largest cumulative loss of soil organic carbon in the world behind China and the US. What that means basically is that the soil is less able to retain carbon, which is bad for farming because carbon-rich soil is desirable, it's healthier, and it's bad in terms of climate change because that carbon is released into the atmosphere. Mm. It's sometimes remarked that it's amazing how well Australia's farmers do perform given how poor the quality of the soil is. Mm. So, I mean, it sounds like there's not a lot of surprises for you as environment editor in this report. As you said, it compiles a lot of research that's been done over the last five years. How would you characterise these findings? Oh, it's pretty brutal, to be honest. When you see it all pulled together, 
it's it's really quite striking the extent of the decline that is happening. It's pretty emotional in a way, to be honest. What we're doing to this continent, not always through bad intention, though, you know, that too, but the extent to which we just haven't come to grips with it and uh, we tend not to take it seriously. And when you see it pulled together here, that's really punches you in the face, really. And I think one of the other striking things is that this is all accelerating over the last five years. Next, is this a real turning point for Australia's environment? So, Adam, how has Labor responded to this latest State of the Environment report? Well, the first thing we should say is Labor inherited this report. It was handed to the Morrison government in December last year to the then Environment Minister, Susan Lee. Uh, She chose not to release it before the election, or they chose not to release it before the election. But Susan Lee has defended the party's decision not to release it earlier, saying they weren't legally required to do so. Uh, not sure that's the only test, but that's their position. Hello and welcome to the Press Club of Australia for today's Westpac address. I'm Jane Norman. The new Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, she released the report on Tuesday just before giving her first big speech as Environment Minister at the National Press Club. Please welcome Tanya Plibersek. Well, thank you so much. I want to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. A lot of the speech went into criticising the coalition. That's the situation I'm inheriting as Environment and Water Minister. Years of warnings ignored or kept secret, promises made but not delivered, dodgy behaviour undermining public confidence, brutal funding cuts, willful neglect, laws that don't work to protect the environment or smooth the way for sensible development, all against a backdrop of accelerating environmental destruction. It's time to change that. Tanya said the Albanese government is going to take a very different approach and didn't want to hide from the findings of the report and has declared that the environment is back on the priority list under Labor. And much of the destruction outlined in the State of the Environment report will take years to turn around. Nevertheless, I am optimistic about the steps that we can take over the next three years. So, Adam, the report argued that Australia needs to invest more in the environment, including introducing better data collection and monitoring. How did Tanya Plibersek say Labor would do this? This is not a conflict between jobs and the environment. We have got to go beyond that thinking when we reform our environmental laws. One of the things Plibersek announced, and she'd flagged this before but has now put a time frame on it, mm. is that the government would finally respond to what's known as the Samuel Review of the National Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. These are the national environment laws. To help guide that change, I'm announcing that by the end of the year, the Australian government will formally respond to the Samuel Review. We'll then develop new environmental legislation for 2023. We'll consult thoroughly on environmental standards. This is a major review required under law that was handed to the Morrison government 
nearly two years ago and hasn't had an official response yet. So we can expect that by the end of the year. Mm. As my colleague Lisa Cox has reported in detail, uh, Samuel recommended in his final report that the laws were in serious need of overhaul uh, after 20 years of government failure, basically, to improve environmental protection systems. Getting these laws right is critical because, in theory at least, they should be the national government's line of defence for our environment. The current laws are supposed to be used to protect iconic environmental sites across the country and to make sure our unique threatened species and ecosystems are driven to extinction, basically, or near extinction. One of the problems with the current laws is they're being used to allow major developments to go ahead even when they hurt the environment. That's the priority often. So how the federal government changes these laws will tell us a lot about how serious they are. Labor could now either adjust the current environmental law or introduce a completely new law to replace it. How will this law be enforced? Well, the idea is this will be the job of a whole new agency, the First National Environment Protection Agency, or EPA. We don't have much detail yet about how that will work, but it's going to come next year with other changes to environment laws. And she said there'd be more funding for Indigenous heritage and Labor would make it easier for First Nations people to claim cultural heritage over land. What else did Tanya Plibersek commit to? One of the few other headline announcements in the speech, and this was something that was also sort of referred to on the eve of the election, is that the Albanese government would protect 30% of Australian land and 30% of oceans by 2030. I'm also happy to announce today that we will expand Australia's national estate. Our government will set a goal of protecting 30% of our land and 30% of our oceans by 2030. We again don't have a great deal of detail about how it'll reach those targets. Mm. Uh, Plibersek did say that the oceans target will be easier to reach than the land target and that we are sitting at about a quarter, so a bit over 25% of Australian land already being protected, but she said the leap from there to 30% is harder than it sounds. And she also said that there'd be environmental indicators included in the next federal budget in October. These will sit alongside the wellbeing measures that the Treasurer Jim Chalmers has promised. I mean, this ties in with her position and the Albanese government's position that environmental law and protecting the environment is part and parcel of good economic reform. And what about climate change, which, as we've discussed, is one of the big pressures the report has said is being placed on the environment right now. Could this add more pressure on the federal government to do more here? Absolutely. I mean, this report makes clear that climate change is affecting every ecosystem across the country and compounding the effects of all the other threats that the environment faces. So, um, yes, that certainly raises questions about the government's uh, climate change policy and what's going to happen with new fossil fuel developments. Tanya Plibersek maintained that Labor wouldn't be raising its emissions target beyond what it promised before the election, that it will make a 43% cut in emissions by 2030 compared to 2005. On the issue of uh, new coal mines, mining's been a, a really important part of Australia's prosperity for decades, for generations, in fact. Despite what the report says, she wouldn't rule out stopping approval of new coal mines when she was directly asked about this. And mining will continue to be an important part of Australia's prosperity. There are some people who would say we shouldn't have any mining anywhere. It's just not 
a sustainable or reasonable proposition for a modern economy like Australia's to say that. So, Adam, the Environment Minister is leaving a lot of big questions open here. Watching the Press Club address, I heard her avoid talking about the details of various policy promises by saying, I've just been in the job for six weeks and I still need to consult with states and territories and environmental groups. What do you make of that? Well, she repeated several times that she wasn't ruling things in or out because she hasn't started the work. Mm. And, you know, from one perspective, fair enough, she's six weeks into the job, though when you turn up to the National Press Club and take questions from the Canberra Press Gallery, they'll generally expect you to have some sort of answers. She's not at that position yet. Right. But of course, there are a number of things that Tanya Plibersek will eventually have to make a call on. What are some of the big decisions she'll be expected to make in the short term, particularly given that Federal Parliament returns next week? Some massive short-term issues that I see are the question of whether they are really going to continue to approve new coal and gas mines. You know, the Greens and the crossbench are running, a, the Greens in particular, a really fierce campaign against that. And it is so clearly at odds with Labor's uh, climate commitments and climate rhetoric. I don't think we'll see any sort of commitment to not do it, but that doesn't mean that we'll actually see those approval decisions happen in any significant way. And that'll be one to watch really closely. And I think this issue of land clearing is another really substantial one. Uh, the rationale to leave that to the states when it's such a huge problem, I think, has been completely undercut by this report. And I think Plibersek and the Albanese government are going to have to address it. But, I mean, the other big challenges are, what are these laws actually going to look like? You know, when the rubber hits the road, are they actually going to make a material difference? What powers will the new EPA have? Is it really going to have serious teeth to step in and enforce the law the minister suggested it would, but let's see. And where is the money going to come from, right? I mean, that's another huge question. The budget we know is under real pressure. We mentioned that the report says this is a major issue, but Plibersek wouldn't be drawn on that either. Didn't want to say how much additional funding there might be in the budget for the environment. But based on the announcements that you've made today following the report, did you have to ring Jim Chalmers and say, hey, we need some extra dollars? Uh, <laughs> no, no. All right, so Adam, Tanya Plibersek said in her address to the National Press Club this week that she's going to be guided by three principles in her new role as Environment Minister. She said that she would protect, restore and manage the environment. But, you know, as you've said, we've seen many reports over the last few years about the declining state of Australia's environment and its response to climate change and its flawed environmental protection laws. Are we seeing a genuine turning point here under Labor? I mean, the short answer is yes, right? We have already seen such a substantial change in the rhetoric that if we don't see some sort of turning point, then that will be extraordinary. Plibersek is laying out some really big goals here and promising to make real substantial change in a way that we just haven't seen in a couple of decades, at least, on the environment in Australia, probably even not since the 80s when Bob Hawke actually was a prime minister with a real interest in the environment. And Tanya Pupasek has a real opportunity, I think, here. She comes in with next to no environment platform. The environment was barely discussed in the election campaign. She was put into the portfolio six weeks ago with a blank slate. And she's a senior minister with a lot of political capital, big national profile, 
um, is from an inner city Sydney electorate that is environmentally conscious and would be supportive of her in this area. And she's got this whopping great new report that she can throw at anyone who suggests that she shouldn't be taking really drastic action. So all the ingredients are there for really significant change. That was Adam Morton, Environment Editor of Guardian Australia. You can read more of Adam's reporting about the State of the Environment report at theguardian.com, including his analysis of Labor's response to the report called The Dire State of the Environment Report is a Major Challenge for Labor and an Opportunity. We'll post a link to that article on the Full Story website. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria, Laura Briley-Newton and me, Jane Lee. Sound design and mixing by Joe Koning. Full Story's executive producers are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassy, and Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.